Wait on your knees. Don't touch that dial. You want to hear this? It's about sex. Night Moves, a sex talk show full of information, interviews, and inquiries. Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. Night Moves is a weekly radio sex talk show. Each week we bring you current research and sexuality, a guest interview. After that, we'll answer questions from listeners like you. Check out our podcast at www.mixcloud.com slash nightmovesksym. I'm your host, Ann Hardy. As a registered nurse, I talk to male patients about erectile dysfunction. I'm Kay Crow, ASEX certified sex therapist in private practice and local sexpert to those who are curious. I'm Ray, your friendly man about town. I'm a guy who's been around the block a bunch of times and I'm here to share opinions to help get you laid and keep you safe. Working on a night moves Trying to make some front page driving news Working on a night moves Welcome to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. This week... We're exploring intimate partner sexual violence. Our guest is Courtney Wright, licensed professional counselor and director of counseling services for the Family Violence Prevention Service. She's going to share with us her thoughts on how they help survivors of intimate partner sexual violence. And then we'll answer questions from email. Welcome to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. This week, we're exploring sexual intimate partner violence, sexual violence, stalking, intimate partner violence, and psychological aggression are serious public health problems affecting millions of people in all societies and in every economic status. Today, we'll focus on intimate partner sexual violence in both men and women. The Center for Disease Control describes these behaviors to include rape, forced penetration of another person, sexual coercion, and unwanted sexual contact. According to the CDC data in the United States, one in five women experience rape, one in six experience sexual coercion, and a third of women experienced unwanted sexual touching. Globally, the World Health Organization reports that one-third of women are in a relationship where they endured physical or sexual violence. The Health Social Work Journal reports that women who are sexually abused are more likely to experience shame. One in 14 men were forced to penetrate someone else. One in 10 men experienced sexual coercion, and one in five men had unwanted sexual touching. A significant risk factor for people experiencing sexual and intimate partner violence report that it began at a young age, before the age of 18. There are considerable societal costs of 
intimate partner violence, including higher rates of STD transmission, increased risk of miscarriage and abortion, and lots of missed time at work. Also, there's depression, PTSD. Yeah, the costs of treatment are insane for those things alone. But get this, overall, with rape at the rate that it is in the United States, annually we spend $127 billion handling rape alone. Wow. Annually. That's, that's like legal costs and treatment costs and all of the above. The defense budget is $266 million. Incarceration costs. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And also there's this propensity, they say, if you have experienced violence in your home, you also may grow up to be violent. Is that right, Kay? That's one possibility. Not a necessity. You, right. You can also grow up to just have problems attaching to people because of that, or you grow up to be really passive in your own relationships. Depends upon which side of the equation you were when you're young. And when you look at the U.S. crime data, 16% of murders are committed by an intimate partner, and 40% of female homicide victims are killed by their partner or spouse. Survivors of sexual violence experience mental health problems such as depression and PTSD. They frequently engage in risky conduct such as smoking, binge drinking, drinking and illicit drug use, and they have risky disease behaviors. Okay. Probably self-medicating. Most well. likely. Most women who are in an intimate partner violence situation have a child in common with their abuser. Their partner is sexually jealous, threatens to murder them, stalks them, harasses them, and Often, miscarriages are common. It makes sense. I think there might be some mechanism in a pregnant woman's body that recognizes the fact that having a child in an unsafe environment is probably not a good idea. Not to mention the, the beatings and the violence. And how often is the, the fact that they are pregnant a cause for the violence? Exactly. Yeah, I read some crime statistic that uh, one of the most common murders is pregnant women. Wow. Well, they don't push themselves down the steps, do they? That's true. Nope. I guess there's a lot of pressure from the partner when a pregnancy is there. The World Health Organization found that the men that perpetrate sexual violence and their female victims typically... When they look around the world, these population have low education, a history of childhood maltreatment, they've observed their mothers being mistreated, and they live in a society or household that has unequal gender norms that accepts violence. The male sexual violence perpetrator is subject to alcohol abuse and feelings of entitlement over women. For female victims, they tend to accept violence in a relationship the male privilege and a woman's subordinate status. I think this is a very important point to, to bring home about Absolutely. intimate partner violence. It is not just black and white. They're perpetrators and they're victims. These people are participating in a system that is familiar to them. So 
in order to intervene, it's not just about helping the victims and incarcerating the perpetrators. It's about both participants getting help. And probably their family, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this is not to say that only the male perpetrators are subject to alcohol and abuse or feelings of entitlement over women, because it can definitely work in the reverse. It's just true. typically the other way due to the sheer numbers. That's true. Yeah. Interventions to decrease sexual intimate partner violence include teaching safe and healthy relationship skills in schools and for couples, including education in bystander empowerment early identification and follow-up for those at risk, and using childhood home visitation when necessary. And for you parents out there, watch what you're modeling for your kids and try to replicate the healthy relationship you want your kids to have in your own relationship. And if you are a child or if you were a child raised in a violent household, Look at your own behavior and get help. You don't have to fall into the pattern of repeating what your parents' relationship looked like. It takes a lot of effort to change what you've been brought up in, but you can do it. There are other prevention strategies that include creating protective environments after school and in the workplace, the strengthening of economic support for families, victim services, legal protection, and we need legislation. So it's kind of a downer topic, but one that we really need to talk about is intimate partner sexual violence. And so what are your closing thoughts? I was raised in a household that was violent. It wasn't necessarily between my mom and dad, but my dad was a very violent person. And I made a a decided effort to not replicate that in my relationships. It still has an impact, but not as much as if I hadn't been aware of it and addressed it. I also grew up in a hot home that had a lot of violence between my mother and stepfather and they would fight a lot and then it would get out of hand and he would beat her up and she would leave the home and leave us kids there with him and then he would offer to buy her a car or something and she would come back and then the whole thing started all over again my whole life and i also made the thing that my home wasn't going to be like that so if you're experiencing intimate partner violence please talk to someone or try to get some help According to the statistics, if you're a guy, you're more likely to be the perpetrator of sexual violence. And if that's the case, have a look at yourself now before you perpetrate some sexual violence and realize that you might be a big individual, you might be an assertive individual. And because of those factors, it's extra important in society today that you walk gently and you treat people gently. Stay tuned. Coming up next is our guest, Courtney Wright, director of Counseling Services for the Family Violence Prevention Service. After that, we'll answer questions from listeners like you. Send us an email. Let us know what you think about the show. Check out our podcasts where you can listen anytime at mixedcloud.com slash nightmovesksym. Like us on Facebook, Night Moves Now. 
If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. And we're talking about sex, all kinds of sex, some serious, some lighthearted. And then we answer your questions that our listeners send in from email. Please send us your questions and comments to nightmovesksym at gmail.com. Welcome to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. My guest is Courtney Wright, licensed professional counselor and director of counseling services at the Family Violence Prevention Services. Welcome to the show, Courtney. Thank you for having me on. Our topic today is talking about intimate partner sexual violence. The Center for Disease Control describes intimate partner sexual violence as rape, coercion, and sexual contact. And it may include stalking, psychological aggression, and other violence. Is this the type of client that you see at Family Violence Prevention Services? Absolutely. Unfortunately, many of our clients do not understand that there can be sexual violence within a marriage. Um, they are, they're often told that they are subject to the needs and the wants of their partner. Oftentimes, they don't even recognize that the things that are happening within their relationship are sexual violence. Unfortunately, it wasn't until 1993 that there were laws and stating that marriage or spousal rape was considered illegal. And even now, there are a lot of laws that either make it really difficult to punish those types of allegations or to move forward in criminalizing them. We typically think of women needing uh, violence prevention services. Do you also service men? Of course. Men make up a, a relatively small percentage of those seeking services with us. That's not to say that men are not victims of intimate partner violence. The men that we do see are often in same gendered or same sex relationships. But again, men can be victims of intimate partner violence by female perpetrators. I really applaud the services of Family Violence Prevention Services. But I'm kind of curious, like, how does the referral come? And if someone needs that kind of services, how can they uh, gain it? Sure. We have a wide variety of services at our agency for those who are offenders of domestic violence and those that are victims of domestic violence. If somebody is seeking emergency residential services because they are in danger, they can call our 24-hour hotline at 210-733-733. 8810. And if somebody is not seeking emergency shelter services, but maybe they're seeking supportive services, they can call us at 210-930-3669 and enter extension 2 for victim services or the listed extension for the batterers intervention program. So you actually have offenders come to seek services from you? We do. One of our largest programs in the agency is our Batterers Intervention Prevention Program. That program is funded by CJAD. We are state accredited to provide a curriculum that seeks to increase victim safety and increase um, sorry, offender accountability. So do the offenders come voluntary or are they kind of 
sin here through the legal system. They can absolutely come here voluntarily. That's not our highest rate of referral. Most of our referrals are through the legal system, such as probation, parole, or other court entities. And then we do a lot of work with Child Protective Services. Studies report that many intimate partner violence victims that the intimate partner violence started at a young age. Is that what your clients report and do you have an example? Absolutely. Many of our victims witnessed intimate partner violence happen between their family members when they were children. So it it is something that is considered generational. The youngest victim of intimate partner violence that I ever worked with was 11 years old. And her boyfriend was showing signs of being coercive and controlling. Could you give me an example of a couple of the interventions that you do to help the victims? Sure. The most important intervention is going to start very, very early. Unfortunately, we're not in everybody's home, but we do recommend that that's where intervention and prevention starts. You can't talk about consent or respect early enough, and, and we inform our parents of that. Speaking about consent, respect, all those things are very important to start early. Some of the services that we provide at Family Violence Prevention Services that speak to that are through our violence intervention prevention programs or our BIP programs. We also do a lot of work with victims and survivors of family violence through counseling, family groups, um, group counseling, of course, through our shelter and a lot of interventions in our other um, programs, including legal services. And have you seen a relationship between intimate partner violence and homicide? Absolutely. There's a strong correlation between intimate partner violence and homicide. It is identified that once a victim leaves her offending partner, she is at risk of lethality at an increase of 75%. We know that there, if there is an episode uh, one episode of strangulation between a victim and her intimate partner, her risk of being killed by that partner increases by 750 times. So absolutely. There's one study that showed 72% of all murder-suicides involve an intimate partner, with 94% of those victims being female. I know you've already kind of talked about this, but when a client say accesses your program and she's been raped by her boyfriend what kind of uh, services would you try to get her in immediately sure it depends on her level of risk if she is being stalked or there has been a incident of threats made against her life then of course we would talk to her about emergency shelter services if she is seeking just emergency supportive services we would talk to her about what services are available and work with her to see what best fits her needs we do offer counseling we do offer supportive groups services. And then of course, if she needs a referral to another provider, we would assist with that. And I'm really impressed what you say about your group therapy or group counseling. This is probably a stupid question, but I assume, or do you have victims and perpetrators in the same class or are they separate? That's a really great question. Um, 
and and I think that speaks more to the context of the type of violence that's happening. We do work really, really hard at screening our clients to making sure that they are in the most appropriate services. So we do not have males and females in the same group. We have had situations where, say, there's been a lesbian couple and one of those people in the relationship has been both a victim and an offender. We will work with that couple to see what services are best for their needs. And sometimes that means one person gets individual counseling and the other one is referred to group services. So it really depends on the case. I do want to highlight that all of our services are provided for males and females or anybody who identifies as a different um, gender orientation. And all services are provided in both English and in Spanish. I'd like you to kind of talk about a case, like a case study. And I'd like to know one that like went really well and one that didn't do so good. Yeah. For the sake of confidentiality, I won't talk about a specific case, but in general terms, Clients we know often go back to their abusive partner. The national average is between seven and 11 times that they leave their partner and then return. So it's not uncommon that we see clients come into our shelter, stay for a day or two and go back, and then come back a couple of months later, and we continue to see the cycle. So of course, we want people when they leave our services to go back into relationships that are healthy, they feel a sense of empowerment, they have a sense of stabilization and security. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. And what does make women typically go back to their offender? That's a great question. There's so many reasons. Often it's because of fear. Fear is probably the number one fear of their partner, fear that their partner will harm them or family members or their pets, fear of being alone, fear of the unknown. Sometimes they go back because they love their partner and they believe that their partner is going to change or they have seen evidence where their partner does change. Sometimes they go back because of financial reasons. It's difficult to be a single parent and not have maybe the resources that you need to take care of yourself or your family. Um, There are many complicated reasons. How about a success story? Some of my favorite success stories include clients that go to our shelter and after a period of time, they are able to stabilize themselves and and obtaining employment and then find housing and move out from the shelter into really safe environments and their kids are happy and they come back into services because they're continuing to work on their recovery, but they're safe and they're stable. Aww. I have really enjoyed this interview and I've really learned a lot. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being on Night Moves. And before we leave, what's your closing thoughts on intimate partner sexual violence? My closing thought, and and I would really encourage everybody to remember that they have experienced a, a victimization that they can heal from. It may not feel that way right at front. Um, There are a lot of services that are available in the community, and we're here to help. You don't have to go through this alone. 
for our listeners that want more information or how to access your services, could you please give us your contact information? Absolutely. You can contact us by calling 210-733-8810. That is a 24-hour hotline. You can also visit our website at www.fvps.com. Dot org or search us through your favorite search engine family violence prevention services thanks so much for being on night moves coming up next we answer questions from our listeners email have a burning question for the hosts of night moves we'll answer it on the air names will not be disclosed but we'd like your gender and age range check out our podcast at www dot mixcloud.com slash night moves ksym like us on facebook night moves now night moves your Working only alternative on for sex moves. information trying to make some front page driving news working on our night moves Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about sex, baby. Night Moves, answering the questions you don't want to ask. Now it's time for questions and comments. The question is from a female in her 40s. I heard you talking about a swingers club on the radio. I'm divorced and have a curiosity about swinging. Could I go to the club and just check it out, or will I be expected to participate the first time? Well, I think it's pretty safe to say that you shouldn't want to go to anywhere that has expectations of you on your first visit. So you can just go, check it out. What if someone approaches you? What's the polite etiquette thing to say? Like, not well, tonight, dear. Well, I mean, nobody, nobody says that. I mean, I'm not ruling out that you shouldn't play on your first time if you if you're feeling it go with it but but if you don't want to what's the kind of polite way to no thank you always works exactly you just you have to be very blunt and clear the first time i went with my partner at the time we agreed that we were not going to play even with each other and we were just going to check out the environment we wanted to see if how we felt there and and so we watched we we looked and that's that's all that happened and it's really up to you. Yeah, I visited a club on and off fairly regularly for over a year before I ever had sex in it. So the answer is go the first time and check it out. And if someone doesn't approach you, again, no thank you. It works. Biggest, biggest rule of thumb when visiting a place like that that's sex positive, bring a date. Yeah, and just have an understanding with your date about what will and what won't happen. So if you bring a date, you should kind of discuss the rules ahead of time. Absolutely. Right. And at least in the local club, and most clubs are like this, there's an orientation that you go through. So you understand the protocol of the club. And you won't be sitting at the bar alone if you're a guy. That's usually how, how the swingers club works, yeah. by the way. If you're alone at a strip club or at a swingers club, you're going to be by yourself for a while. Yeah. You might get lucky. Mm-hmm. The question is from a female in her 20s. I just learned to masturbate and am having orgasms for the first time. 
after I come, my vagina feels like it's contracting or having little spasms. What's happening? Congratulations. Yes. It's called joy, honey. It's just the after effect of, of your orgasms. Uh, maybe your pelvic floor is contracting. Maybe your uterus is contracting. It's it's uh, trembling with joy. Think of you know, it that way. What, what are your toes doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's all part of the deal. It's all part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Every woman expresses orgasm in a different way, and this is just part of yours. Too bad most of those ways aren't translatable to radio. Anonymous question from a person in their 30s. Would it matter to you if your partner was cheating with someone of the same sex? It would matter to me if my partner was cheating with anybody. But if you're asking if, yes, it would matter to me either way, equally. Whether it's man or woman. It's more about the the deception and the, the lying. If you're in a monogamous relationship and you have that exclusivity understanding it really doesn't matter who they sleep with it's it's more about that they did it i'm going to be the odd man out it would bother me more if my partner my husband cheated with a man than a woman and the reason it would bother me more is because it would say something in general about his sexuality that i had not known all that time and it would be more deceptive because I feel like he would be hiding something about his sexuality that I felt that I should have been privy to and known. And then on top of it, I would be really hurt if he cheated. Like us on Facebook, Night Moves Now. Catch up on past episodes on Mixcloud.com slash Night Send us an email. Let us know what you think about the show. Good night, and I hope you find yourself in bed with a book you love or someone who's already read one. Hey, y'all, have a great night. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, but if you're going to do it, do it safe. Good night, have a fabulous week, and tune in next week to Night Moves. An exploration of contemporary sexuality. Good night, all. Working on a night moves Trying to make some fun pay Driving news, working on a nine moon.